Groovaholics. Welcome to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Birthed by a love of music, we're all about culture. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. If you gain value from this podcast, personally share it with a friend and explain your favorite part. Let's get groovy. What is going on? You just heard Be Mad by Luke Cornwell from his brand new album, Sweaters and Coffee. 30 days, 30 songs, an amazing project he took on. We talk about Sweaters and Coffee. 
We talk about everything behind it. And ultimately, Luke and I in this podcast really talk about everything music. We get existential. We get interesting. We keep it fun. We keep it real. And we uh, just, just really just have a great time. I love these conversations. I love the growth potential in every conversation we have here. And I know that you're really going to enjoy this episode. Yeah, let's get it going. Without further ado, here is me and Luke Cornwell. Welcome, everyone, to the Rochester Groovecast podcast, your top source for live, local, regional music interviews and events from Rochester, New York, and the surrounding area. I am your host, Ben Albert, and I'm excited. This is going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. We're going to talk about a little bit everything. I am here with Luke Cornwell. What's going on, Luke? What's happening, man? Uh, so much and yet so little. Just been uh, doing doing my uh, doing some music lessons today. Other stuff, getting ready to go camping pretty soon. So yeah, life is life is on the roll. I love it, man. Uh, I have taken every chance I could to go camping this this coronavirus quarantine madness because getting yeah. outside in Mother Nature really is healing, right? It is. They say that being in the forest, even just for five minutes, your body like starts exponentially producing more antibodies. So, you know, being out there for a couple of days, it's it's it does wonders for your whole whole body, I'm sure. I love it. And yeah. um I look forward to everything. Uh, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Luke will dive deeper in a second. But um, in this podcast, we have a lot to cover. Uh, Luke plays with a lot of groups. Um, Seth Fergozio's Multibird, Treasure Plate. He has his own project. He, he ultimately recorded a song a day for a month. Um, a lot to learn in terms of you know creativity, songwriting, the artist way. We've got a lot to talk about, and Luke's the person, a perfect person to talk about. Because when I think oh, I about um, the creative elements, the the unique style, um, oh, let's let's start with what's in your hand. There is, is that what I think it is. So yeah, I've got. Um, so yeah, so I did every day this past April write and record a new song uh, each day. And uh, then I put them together into an album and I released it in July and it's called Sweaters and Coffee. It's on Bandcamp and for physical media, this is the, uh, this is what you got. So I haven't done any CDs or uh, records or anything. It's these little houses, which I've handmade. Um, the first run actually just sold out uh, a couple of weeks ago. So this is from the second edition, which I'm currently building. So this is one of the first ones that I've completed. So what it is, is it's a little house, stands about four, inch, four inches tall, and inside there's going to be a USB drive loaded mm. up with all the tracks, and maybe some bonus tracks, still working that out, uh, have to get my piano tuned, but um, yeah, I just was thinking of, um, well, I was thinking of doing this album for a long time, actually. Um, I did this, 
this was an idea that goes back to my high school days where I just decided because I had a, I had a digital four track and a lot of time on my hands before I went off to college. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to every day for this month, I'm just going to sit down and make one new track every day, one new piece or song or just something sonic that you kind of funnel into the four track and you, by the end of the day, you have a completely new thing that you weren't expecting to make that just kind of comes right from your, it's from like the immediate, uh, uh, the kind of immediate motivations of that day and sort of what, like what's going on in your life and what you're thinking of and what you want to try kind of thing. So I did that. It was back in 2012 in the summer mm-hmm. and it's still on my old hard drive. That one is. And ever since then I've kind of intermittently thought, well, I want to do that again, but there's like all this other really more important stuff going on. And, you know, most of the time there is. And when, uh, when things started to, so, you know, fast forward to 2020, things start to close down and it's not really possible to, you know, see people for a while or go to places, you know, like three dimensional areas, like what a concept, like, it's just not a thing, you know? So, so I just thought, well, April's coming up. Maybe I'll just, I'll just do this again, you know, cause by now I've been in bands and been on tours and had albums and done release parties and all this breadth of experience that I didn't have at age 17 when I first did it. So I, uh, yeah. And it was, it was a really, uh, really intense time. It was just like every day, this is the mission and I'm just making stuff, stuff like song, 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 song. And, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of broadly speaking how it all happened in the first place. Um, the house is, it just, it just kind of came to me. It just seemed to make sense because I wanted to do something that tied the album to like a physical object somehow, you know, because it's, it seems like right now, especially, we all rely on the internet a lot to be able to communicate and to just share information and just, just to do normal stuff. It's like heightened, uh, sort of a heightened leaning on, the, on this digital sphere, on your internet connection, you know. Thank you, Spectrum, but also, come on, Spectrum, get it together. <laughs> so I, I wanted to kind of sort of go against that current a bit and make the album uh like yes it's online yes it can be streamed but first and foremost it's like it's like an object it's like a thing you can hold in like physical space right and um yeah so and you know you're at home all the time so you know house and being inside the house and the music was made in the house and then on the usb drive it it, the music sits in the house so it Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of where where that came from. So, yeah, that's but yeah, that's my that's the uh, that's the version from Ten Thousand Feet about uh, about the album. <laughs> I I love it. I love the bird's eye view. And yeah, you you're producing something tangible, uh, you know, a tangible memory attached to the album in right. an age that is totally digital. I, I'll admit, I am the first. I'm the first person that ultimately has moved a little bit away from the tangible at times. I, I know that I read a lot of books and one day I was moving and I realized that I had several hundred pounds worth of boxes of books. <laughs> yep. 
Yep. And I something I think about with my bookshelf. I'm like, oh, if I ever go somewhere else, do I have to like take all of this with me? You know. Oh, and I probably had twenty times more CDs than I had books. Granted, they're far lighter, but again, I have you know boxes and boxes of CDs. So being able to condense and I kind of went through a minimalist phase where I wanted to get rid of a lot of the clutter and I got a Kindle and I started focusing more on streaming. You know, I I'm a I'm a crook to to what it used to be. I'm a crook to what what you know the tangible aspects of where this all began. And yeah. in a world where Spotify takes over the world, having something tangible like that Dude, that's a cool thing, man. So, so you, you've got their handmade houses, yes. and you mail them with the album. That's like the that's so far from what anyone's doing. Where where exactly did you come up with that idea? Did it just pop in your head one day? Well, this one, um, I think I had I had seen somebody who was like a friend of a friend was. Um, like like every so often you see an artist or a band who 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 puts out an album where it's like available for limited streaming or not streaming not streamable at all and it's only like in uh in an object right and it's like once it's gone it's gone and uh i think that doing that intermittently like it's i think it's a good thing to have your music available easily but I think that there's something to be said for uh, uh, for for kind of not giving everybody the whole story immediately, you know, like sort of giving them some kind of surface level that they can engage with sort of broadly. And then if they want to go deeper, it's like, OK, well, you know, you, you can only hear this if you do this thing or, you know. Like, like, like you have to get it on physical, physical copy, for example. I think that doing that kind of thing in, in the right amount as an artist in your like bigger career, I think it can lend a lot of, a lot of value to the work. And you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned uh, Spotify earlier and how it's taking over the world. Um, I think uh, that's, I've been th thinking about how I wanted to put this for this podcast, but that's a really, really good way to put it because everything's up there, you know? And it's, I'm, I'm glad that there's this, that, that music is very accessible now and that you can find things very easily and, you know, quickly. But on the other hand, you know, it's, this is, you know, if you're, if you're a musician or a creator, this is like your life's work, you know? It's like you spend, like think about how many hours and hours and hours it takes just, just to write the stuff before you've even commit it to a recording, you know? And then trying to trying to make that kind of your if if not like the bedrock of your living, like some some aspect that helps you keep your living going. It it just seems to me like giving it away for free on Spotify isn't really good for the artist, you know? It it's it's good for the people who run Spotify, you know? <laughs> and it's it's good for the listeners, of course, which is, you know, you can't discredit that, but I just kind of feel like it's it's more special when there's um, like, I can send this to a person and I can write them a nice note personally. And if, if I know them or if maybe if I don't, I still, 
you know, and this, then this is like your thing. It's your copy, right? You know, if like when the music's like in this cloud up here somewhere, it's not really like yours. It's sort of just like this like ubiquitous like presence that's everywhere, you know? And I, I don't know if I want to like knock that necessarily. I just, I just feel like there's, there's maybe a better way, you know, like, like maybe that's not identical to progress, you know, in like across the board, you know, it, it's definitely not the cookie cutter move. Uh, again, I've, no one plans to make money putting their music on Spotify. You do it because you want people to hear it. You want people to love it and enjoy it. Or maybe you're touring and right. it, it ultimately gets the music out there. It, it's something to promote. Um, yeah. But talk about against the grain counterculture saying, you know, screw putting my music here. Let's create something more artistic and more niche where my fans are supportive and my friends and and really kind of building your tribe. Right. So ultimately, it's a cool thing, man. It's a cool concept. The, the album's 30 songs in in 30 days. You mentioned you did that back, you know, four years ago in 2016. Um, oh, actually, in 2012. In 2012. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that much of a baby. <laughs> For what it's worth, you probably said that, and someone probably heard it, and, and I was just listening very poorly. So in 2012, um, and then and then you came back and did this again, What what is the – compare and contrast your experience from then and now. Obviously, like you said, you play in bands, you mature, um, you season your craft, and, and it sounds a lot better now, but – what was the experience then and what was the experience now? And what were some of those changes that you felt as you were writing the songs, you know? Well, so I'll start with, I'll start with this year. So sweaters and coffee, you know, by now, um, my, my, my first motivations writing the thing were that, okay, now's my chance to, now that, society is on pause for an indefinite amount of time. Now's my chance to kind of live a, live a kind of a, a, a hermetic version of my life and, and sort of make, you know, every day I want to come up with some, try and come up with something completely new and that it isn't for the most part based on anything that's come before it in the past. And, uh, inevitably what happens is in the, in the last third of the process, I, I find myself repeating myself, but like on purpose, sort of referencing earlier tracks, hmm. like in, in sweaters and coffee uh, track 12 is, uh, is kind of a minute and a half. It's kind of a, a fun song. It's called, oh, what is that one called? It's called, this is fine. That's what it is. And then track 24 is the same chords and the same melody, but it's a different verse of that. Um, and, and just other things like that. There's, there's some tracks where there's, there's a melody that's the, the center of one track that kind of reprises in a much later track kind of thing. And cool. th those are things that they don't always happen on purpose. It's just kind of a spur of the moment thing. And I think that uh, it, 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 it's, it's kind of like a, as you, as I go along, the narrative sort of, takes shape you know it's it's kind of like um when you start out you, you want to break the ice somehow you know you want to have you want to have something that's maybe like not too dire not too serious 
you know, it's a bit silly. So track one is Bagel Duffy. It's kind of a silly song and harmonically it's kind of ambiguous, but it's ultimately very bouncy and jumpy. And as, as the album goes on, it, it's, it's like, there, it's like, it sets this emotional landscape at the outset. And then you kind of say, okay, what if it was a couple shades darker this way? Or like, if it's a couple shades lighter, or what if, what if on this track I did only uh, guitars or only stringed instruments or on this track, if I only did piano and then as you kind of keep going on like that, it's, oh, Jesus. You look sideways. Christ. No worries. I think we've got some technical difficulties. So I'm going to toss on another track from that album, Sweaters and Coffee. We'll, we'll listen to We'll Be Back. I still want to talk about Be Mad in the intro here, but we'll play We'll Be Back. And guess what? We will be back. Just a moment here.
You're listening to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Head over to Facebook, like Rochester Groovecast, and mark our page as C first to keep in touch with everything new. Now, back to the show. Lucas Spectrum, as do I. I'm surprised that I even get it to work. Usually I have the issues that he's having right now. So, you know, Spectrum, I'm sorry if you're mad, but your service stinks. Anyways, here's Gates in Air by Luke Cornwell. Straight from that new release, Sweaters and Coffee, here's Gates in Air. I think we're back for real this time. I love it. I love it. Thanks, dude, man. Dude, what's up, man? This is this has been this has been a wild ride. Yeah. Do we is anybody still watching? Probably like everybody. Everybody on earth. Last time I checked, about 14 billion people watched this podcast. Wow. And, I, I got intel that there was a small family, I believe in Somalia, that hasn't heard of the podcast yet. However, pretty much everyone else on Earth listens to it. So we um 
Well, you, so the thing is, out in Somalia, they don't have spectrum, so it doesn't reach. <laughs> <laughs> true that, true that. <laughs> um, so anybody who's watching live, you realize we're having some technical issues. No big deal. Um, Should be all good now. I think anyway. I think we're all good. I um I want to talk about the three tracks we've listened to because we've had the opportunity. We started with "Be Mad," we listened to "Will Be Back," then we just heard "Gates in Air." I guess let's uh, work backwards because we had just heard "Gates in Air." Um, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that track. That's one of the more eccentric ones on the album, or or what's going on with that one? It was cool. Thank you. Yeah, that one is. Um, so that one's track number seven, meaning I wrote it on April seventh, and the um, well, I guess since we're all friends here, I'll just tell you about the. So so some of the songs on the album are like strictly songy songs. Right. I'm just using like the standard, you know, cowboy chord shapes or, you know, bar chords or whatever. Other times I'm, I'm thinking a lot more like abstractly and maybe with uh, sort of non-functional harmony and not really thinking about, oh, what key is the song in or, you know, how do I do my sort of five, seven back to one kind of thing. So with this track, um, those things are mostly out the window. What I did with this one is I uh, randomly generated a series of riffs and uh motifs and then and like chords and then uh uh, combined them in different ways and put it into a way that was kind of linear and then learned it on these instruments and then played it like that so what it was was i had i had two six-sided dice and so you have 12 possible outcomes and there's 12 Mm -hmm. notes in our Western harmony system. So I assigned one note to each possible outcome. And then, so I, so I had measures. I was like, okay, this measure can have four notes in it. So then I rolled the dice and then the results, I plugged them in. And then it's like, okay, this measure has two notes in it or five notes or whatever. And yeah. And that was how this, how this one was, uh, was generated. But, but even then it's not, it's not like I'm being like total serialist. It's once you have that, then you can, have some liberty and maybe this aspect of it gets kind of shaped this way, or maybe this bit gets lopped off because it doesn't make any sense or, and, and just kind of turning it into a, something that has some kind of logical coherence, you know? So that, that, that's actually one of the, one of the most fun uh, tracks for me writing wise. I had a lot of fun making that one and I, I hope I'll get to uh, teach it to some people and play it with a band uh, eventually. Yeah, that that's a brilliant process to build a song. It, way to just like take it and make it weird and and make it creative and just go with uh roll roll with the punches, roll with the dice per se. Yeah, exactly. Cuz it's you you you're kind of surrendering control in one sense over mm. what is it going to be like. You're kind of leaving it up to chance as it were. What's your relationship with music and control? I mean, it, it seems like in a Western world, in a four-four culture with a you know a twelve-note scale, it seems like it's very easy to be uniform or write music that is digestible and very uniform and just completely 
uh, giving up control and ultimately rolling the dice on what what you're going to play or doing things that are a little out of the norm or counterculture stylistically. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with that? Is it is it something that you love to do? Is it something that you eased into? Or what kind of inspires you to do some different things that not everybody's doing when they write a song? Well, I'm a big fan of uh, um, this sort of um, like mid 20th century, like the, the, the like highly explorative parts of like music came out after that came out after world war two, like, or during or before, you know, post-war era classical music, John Cage and Giannis Sinakis and Pierre Boulez kind of thing. Um, Cage in particular was a, a big influence on, I mean, I never knew him, obviously he died before I was born, but he, just like the way that man talked about music and sort of conceived his works and then the music itself, some of it arguably might even not be music. It's just so like outside the box that discovering that stuff and sort of getting into that music was a like seriously changed how I was thinking about, about music um, in general. And I've, I've gone back and forth like on, you know, how much, how, how controlly do I want to be? How much of a, a, a grip do I want to have on the making of the music? I think ultimately, uh, ultimately more control actually doesn't equal better results in my opinion. And I, I would say actually the same for, uh, for how complicated you're being on purpose, you know, like I, I wouldn't want to like, just as I wouldn't want to overcomplicate something just for the sake of like, Oh, I want to have this Locrian scale in here and I've just got to have that scale kind of thing. Um, it, it like, it, it's not like, Oh, every time I play the song, it has to turn out exactly the same, you know? Um, and some people, and speaking of cage, there some of his critics accuse him of being of sort of, engaging in um you know like you know john cage probably like he wrote 433 mm-hmm. and prepared piano symphonies and had a had a lot of ways of a, a lot of ways of making music that kind of take the composer out of the driver's seat in in small ways or in big ways so some of his critics will sometimes say that Oh, you're, you're just engaging in these elaborate mental gymnastics to pretend to be a composer while not actually composing, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but my, my feeling is, you know, what is, what is it to compose in particular? You know, I think that was some of the biggest breakthroughs in music in the last century came down to questioning, what does it mean to be composing music? What does it mean to be music period, you know? So I, I mean, I, I feel comfortable going outside of those boundaries, you know, to an extent, you know, I'm not going to try and write, I'm not going to try and do like a field recording and claim that I wrote it, that I, that I wrote the thunder sounds, you know, but in, in this case, I I feel I found a kind of a, a medium between sort of the, the, the like feet kickback total, no holds barred improvisation and the sort of strict through composed by having which notes occur be up to chance, but then how they're used and how they're kind of layered, there has to be some intention behind that. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it's almost like someone provided the canvas and you've got everything to fill it, but it's not really your choice as to the the beginning of the canvas. You're completing it based on what was given to you. Uh, 433, is that the silent piece that John Cage did? Yes, it's just you sit down at your instrument and you don't play it for four minutes and 33 seconds. So I, I want to jump on board with some of the critics how do you feel about that piece in general? Because I almost feel like he's monetizing silence. It's more a philosophical statement than it is a musical statement per se. Uh, I mean, obviously silence doesn't exist. They've literally controlled environments, um, tried to make there be no sound whatsoever. And it's almost nearly impossible to be in a controlled room and have no frequency at all. There's always mm-hmm. some kind of sound vibration. So there's always going to be sound. So that's a philosophical thing. But by sitting at the piano for over four minutes and having people sneeze and cough in the background, is that per se music or is more of that a, a philosoph- like a philosophical stunt? You know, I when I first heard about that, I actually was kind of not enraged, but I was like, I, "You're taking this a little far." What well, What are your thoughts on that specifically? Well, I think that's that's probably the appropriate reaction, honestly. <laughs> like, there, it's like it's. I, I think that the 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 ridiculousness of of doing that is, you know, you it, it can't really be sidestepped. It is a very uh, intense statement it's 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 very absurdist um i think that uh i am i'm kind of personally skeptical about whether 433 is music um because i feel like either either everything is music on some level or nothing is music on every level you know like if if that is how, if we want to be that hard line and sort of confront this, like, like I remember uh, I was reading a, a, a music review on a, of a harsh noise album because I like to listen to noise too, and somebody was saying like the the critic was not a was not a noise fan. Clearly, they were kind of part of the review was they're trying to wrestle like how is this? Mu-? It's like very shrill, like atonal, like <laughs> sounds for you know. And they were saying, uh, this this might be the most extreme form of music I can conceive of, unless you consider 433 music. So in other words, it's like, how, like how can you beat that in some sense? Um, what was your question? I've got I've got like so far left field with this. I, Sorry. I, and it wasn't even a general question. I, I just wanted a response on it because it it's it's interesting and it is obscure, you know, the question, what is music? Um, I don't think we can find the exact answer today, but I almost yeah. feel like there is kind of music as we know it and there's art and maybe something can be artistic yeah. and unique, but not be in the category of music but that's kind of in a sense putting music in a box that doesn't allow it to expand. Um, but my, you know, assertion and my inclination is that, you know, if something is 
just terrible to the ears that I cannot, like, I can't enjoy it. It's unenjoyable. I'm sh- it can be music, but it, it, it's almost in a different category to me than what I know to be music. It's more noise or art or obscurity or i mean it's almost like you're on some weird bad mushroom trip or something is that an experience <laughs> is that an experience yes it's an experience but is it a an experience that i would put check off as a normal one right maybe not um so these are just posing questions yeah i definitely don't I like the there. i like the um uh the analogy that when it comes to like getting into music, it's, it's like radio towers that have signal, you know, like maybe, maybe, you know, you have like a frequency somehow and are are, like, is your, can you pick up, pick up on whatever this particular tower is sending out, you know, or does it just kind of phase right through you, you know, like there. And I, I think it's the, the borders on that are elastic. Like everybody has their own, like, limits as to like you know what they can like tolerate sonically or like what they can kind of uh like 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 how far they like uh, your attention can stay with something or you know loud sounds like how quietly you can hear kind of thing and i think these are to some extent borders that 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 can be broadened or that can be narrowed depending on what kind of input you're receiving you know and that is not to say that oh everybody should expand their horizons because that's not always the that's not always what's what's needed but um it's this it's like is is the music uh can like can you pick up on it and does it like mean something to you like do you hear it and do you recognize the shape that you're seeing you know like if you it's uh kind of known i think that our brains like things that are familiar because it, it in some way reminds us of home and it, it's kind of like something we can kind of hang on to. It's like, we feel safe somehow. Um, and that new information is uh, like, like certain people, depending on personality types, you might be predisposed to, you know, more readily receive new information. Like if you're high in openness or if you're high in like, I, I think they call it neuroticism or it's kind of a loaded word, but I'm, I'm not using it as like a, derogatory in any way let's just say low openness like people who are lower openness will generally when when confronted with new information or unfamiliar things they'll tend to kind of try and like oppose it somehow and you know like like you like you know what what's good for you as a person you know what you need you know like i i enjoy listening to uh bands that have like scronky saxophones and like crazy like synthesizer like kind of stuff like I can I can I can enjoy things like that but you know like outside of me it's just it's just what everybody's what kind of frequencies people are you know wanting to pick up on or able to pick up on you know totally and you know someone might like bacon and eggs every morning they might have the same morning routine they do their job well and they like that routine and that simplicity that doesn't mean they're not open to new breakfast items, new ideas, new experiences. It's just a slower transition um, um, for them. And then other people 
they they want the spicy random ethnic food immediately they want something they've never tried before so i could definitely yeah. see um some polarity polarity there but but it's all coming from a the same place just different people um yeah. and you know but, what actually this uh you just remind me of this i love how often what music metaphors and food metaphors <laughs> share a lot of common ground uh, that's just something i've noticed cool yeah I, I'm, I'm not going to use a ton, but I, I find music metaphors and sex metaphors also have a lot of common ground, but that's a whole that's, different yeah. story. Something that came to mind when you were talking uh, just a moment earlier is my girlfriend's dog. For whatever reason, I haven't pinpointed it. I've only seen her listen to the, the dog. I've only seen her listen to this song about three times. I kind of want to put on headphones for the sake of her. Um, so I can listen in private and try to figure out what's going on. But this particular song makes her pace back and forth, start to whimper, and then begin to bark. And the what first time, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know. We'll, we'll get the answer. It's a trap. Okay. It, it's like a modern trap song, um, rap trap. And, and I don't know exactly what song it is. I, I just know that. The kids played it a couple of times on purpose to show off that the dog's about to freak out. Um, I need to inquire about what song it is. But for whatever reason, you know, they can play trap music all day long. They can play uh, all kinds of rap and loud music. They can blare it all day long. And she just lays around and sleeps and snores and acts like a dog. But when they put on this song, she perks up. And the first time they, they did it, she started to bark and she was like kind of casing the house to try to like, it looked like she was trying to determine where the sound was coming from so she could like attack it or bark at it or something. And this goes a little bit back to what you're saying before that um, our ears, another food analogy, our ears have different palates where of course a dog can hear something that that we can't hear and they experience you know all, all the senses but they experience sound far different than us where yeah. a song that a kid might freaking love and want to bump all day long and enjoy the dog actually is threatened and scared or angered and the reason i don't know um we actually googled it and it was not a commonality. There was no like information. Oh, my dog does this too. Or my dog this. There was no evidence that this occurs in anything but this dog. Granted, it might be happening to other dogs, but we don't really know. But there is no evidence other than this one particular dog and this one particular sug made her want to jump off the roof and like pile drive somebody. She was so. <laughs> so what, what kind of dog is she? Um, she is a pug and, um, a pug and wow, wow, wow. My brain today. Um, a pug and bulldog mix. Oh, cute. They, they do it on purpose. I, I don't, I don't like that they do it on purpose, but they basically breed bulldogs and pugs to make like a small size bulldog. So she's like a mini bulldog. Mm. She's cute yeah. as hell. And she snores very loudly. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, we're not dogs and we're not animals, but we do have so much similarities on Earth to all creatures. And 
it, it seems like everybody has different ears. So yeah. it seems like your ears are more open to understand and more excited and creatively like lit up by weirdness or things that uh, you might not hear on the radio, weird sounds and things like that. Is that something that it's it's always been that way? Like when you were a child, you liked noisy different music or did you develop it as you learned more about music or uh, what what brings you to experiment you know experiment with some different sounds and and enjoy it when some other people feel like their ears are bleeding anyone over the age of 60 probably thinks the music you play is going to give them an ear infection right so <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I want to I want to uh, disclaimer though. Uh, sweaters and coffee is overwhelmingly, I would say, uh, r- like radio friendly. Like there's no swears mm. on it, and there's uh, you know for for the most part, it's kind of riff oriented and you know in four most of the time. And so I'm I'm not like it's, it's I would not really call it an experimental album, although there are experimental bits to it. Um, but I, I actually don't know if I uh, like where my like why like when exploring music or art that's kind of off the beaten path started. Actually, I can recall being probably about thirteen or fourteen, and I was just getting into uh, trance, like EDM kind of stuff. You know, like and it's it's always got like a minor six four one five kind of thing, like in every single song, and. But I just loved it, and at the time, and I, I started to get a bit frustrated at the time. This was like beginning of high school because all of the songs I was finding, they were like all starting to kind of sound the same, and things on the radio, it, it was, it was, I was starting to see these like predictable threads going through everything, like the quantized drum and bass sort of thing. That's just like all over the like everywhere or these like repetitive melodies or hooks that are kind of algorithmically made to stick in your ear, you know? And I just, I just can recall having this gnawing sense that there's gotta be, there's music out there that I, that I'm imagining that I don't know what it sounds like, but I know it's out there and I know that it's, that it it would be better for me than this somehow. And I don't remember what that eventually manifested for. I think it might've been Pink Floyd first. Then I'd started getting into post-rock like Sigur Rós. Um, then actually then I found um, Godspeed You Black Emperor in uh, grade 11, I think. And they were like my favorite band for the rest of high school. So have you ever heard heard Godspeed before? Yeah, I have. And Sigur Rós. For some reason, I thought it was Sigur Rós, but that's me going back and mispronouncing things. But yeah, back oh, yeah. in my high school days, I listened to both of them as well. Um, go on nice. about Godspeed though. Well, well, what I, what I really loved about, loved about Godspeed when I found them was they just had this, they had this way of making music that it just kind of raised this like monstrosity between, cause it's like a nine person band and, you know, the, the first time I heard it, I think I was probably 15, and I heard the beginning of Rockets Fall on Rocket Falls, which is a, like, long guitar intro, and it's it's very minory and very kind of, uh, I don't want to say repetitive, but that's really the best word for it. But it, it very slowly builds. And after, like, a minute, I remember being like, wow, this sucks. 
and I turned it off. But then I heard Moya, which was the like, and once that got going, you know, once it got the drop in it, you know, the part I was like, like my ears were just like, whoa, like this is what we've been looking for, you know? And so I was, uh, and so I'm just like scouring. I think this actually might be kind of where, where I like, uh, I like music that's kind of inaccessible or kind of hard to find because Godspeed was, you know, in their heyday, notorious for being kind of uh, uh, dodgy to the press. And they didn't have any press photos. Like they're, there's just like that blurry image of six of them standing on a train track. And like, you can't tell who the band leader is. And it's, you know, for F sharp, A sharp infinity, it's, it's ambiguous how many people are in the band at all. And when they, so then, so then when you can find an interview, it's like the people who made this, this like really interesting music, they're finally speaking, you know? And, and I think it's because the, the information is at a premium that you, it's, you know, you're, you know, when, when availability goes down, demand goes up for the most part. And, uh, yeah. And, and, but that was, uh, but like nobody else at, at the school I went to had ever heard of them, at least nobody I ever talked to. So like they, they would send out like the, the quizzes for the yearbook and be like, what's the class of 2012's favorite song? And I'd be like, you know, Godspeed Black Emperor static. And people would be like, what's that? I'm like, you probably never heard of it. <laughs> Like that age kind of, um, but actually, um, and, and I'll, I'll just go into one more, one more avenue of this, of this question. Um, I can remember, I saw, I saw this one meme, uh, in, I think it was grade 12 that, that in hindsight actually changed my entire life forever. Just this one meme. It was the, it was the one where maybe you've seen it. It's like the iceberg at the top, right? And then there's the ocean and then it's the rest of the iceberg underneath it. And then on the side, there's like a cartoon of a guy. So like at the top, it's like sort of normal plebe. And it's like pop, rock, uh, country, and other like stuff you hear on the radio kind of. And then like okay. right one layer below, it's like, you know, cool indie guy. And then it's like, uh, you know, indie rock or EDM or whatever. And then, you know, as you get lower, the picture of the person gets like more like disheveled and like crazier hair and like you start to get into like kraut rock or like mm. uh no, noise rock or and, and then at the very bottom it's it's like these words that i didn't even know what they were like tibetan throat singing mm -hmm. or like harsh noise wall or like uh uh drone or like avant-garde classical or whatever or like zen harmonicism and so i'm looking at this at this picture and i'm like whoa i want to go deeper I, there's there's a lot more to see out here so i start i start like googling these genres and like finding i think i found like sun like the like drone metal and stuff and and then i think i think i i eventually just wanted to find the most like weirdest stuff that i could find this is actually around the time that i did the first song a day while i was writing that thing i would i would go on google and i would type weirdest music genre i would literally just type those words into google right. in uh you know and look at these lists and um harsh noise was one that really stuck out to me because it's like we're just throwing all semblance of harmony or anything out the window and it's it's just sound and it's like sound that's kind of like at the threshold of what your senses are able to sort of tolerate 
And there was something about that that I think at first it was the shock value of like showing it to people like, hey, man, check out this song. And then it's just like. (sighs) And then the person's like, wow, this sounds terrible. Like, I know it's great, isn't it? And then, but, you know, then moving on from that and then, but then like having that sort of inform new stuff you get into, like, just like for me, just knowing that something's out there, period, even if I hate it, just knowing it's there somehow, it's somehow adds more color to the full picture for me. You know what I mean? Like, like I can, I can appreciate, uh, I can appreciate like trap better now that I know about the existence of, uh, I don't know, like shoegaze or something, you know, and vice versa. It's, it's like, it's like, I start to see like, okay, in the, in the umbrella of music or like sound, this, this is also included. These are things people have also done. So, and then after that, after that, it was, it was kind of like just feeling like the musical world was just wide open in a, in a sense, you know? And I think actually I kind of came to like cage and uh, the post-war composers actually after that, you know? So Yeah, that's that's a, a a quick scope view of uh, of Luke's descent into underground music. That's awesome, man. Uh, I I find that especially when I was younger, I did the same thing. I was on Google. I was looking up. It, there was something cool about being different and ex- being the one Absolutely. introducing stuff that no one understood. I almost feel like I lost it a little bit nowadays. A lot of the music I see is local stuff that I can see live, or I personally like a lot of dancey funk music and stuff like that. Cause I can throw it on and it's a easy win all the time. Everybody likes a right. good groove, but yeah, back in the day, my go-to was, I don't know if you've been there before, but pragarchives.com oh yeah yeah that's like that's you gotta you go on Prague archives they have they have crot rock they have zool canterbury you know crossover prog symphonic music technical death metal psychedelic space they've got italian they've got like rio avent rock prog and it it's just a the thing about Prague Archives, and I want to shout them out because I think anybody listening should check it out. The thing about that website that for me is so great, it was always my go-to, is I would sort by ratings or ultimately sort by ratings and reviews because not not I was going to say not a single band, but by now I know a ton of them. But most of the bands you haven't heard of, but they have a large community of people that are completely indulged with their music, totally engaged, and it's their favorite band. And every yeah. every year, every month, every month, but especially every year, there's at least one, five to ten bands that come out that no one's ever heard of, that everybody's just like, whoa, my mind was blown. And yeah, it, yeah dude, uh, so I want to ask you just about music in 2020 and in a digital culture and in a world where i mean you go back to the 80s 70s 60s and before 
I can't talk any any smack at all because some of my favorite music was made in the 60s and 70s. I think that music in every generation up to today has been great for so many reasons. But one thing that's super interesting about the technological age is that the variety of music and the ability to reach such a variety of music has never been so affluent where a place like Spotify, generally the only people that make money are pop stars that get billions of listens or maybe millions of listens. However, you go on Spotify, you go on Bandcamp, you go anywhere online, you can find such a large variety of music. I'm just curious if you have any uh, opinions on that and um, how you've ultimately utilized the internet to get your music out there or um, any other feedback on how, you know, technology, Corona, people going online more, becoming a digital world. Do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's a bad thing? I know I'm asking like six questions, but, <laughs> but what are your thoughts on a world where you don't need uh, an agent to put your music online? All you really need is a recording device and a computer. Well, lots of stuff, but I, I know you probably have something for us, right? Well, Actually, I was I was kind of hoping to talk about this kind of thing today. So this is cool. this is great. I kind of think that speaking of um, recording as an art form, uh, or, or actually, let's get more general with the uh, the sort of availability of information of media in general. It it used to be like a hundred years ago. It was just like the radio. And I don't know exactly how many radio stations there were in 1920, like we're going exactly 100 years ago, but it wasn't that many. And if you wanted to get on the radio and be heard by places, you had to go to this place or this place, and you had to talk to this person, right? And doing it yourself was, it was really like beyond the scope of a lot of, so it's, it's, it's almost like there's, like there's like pins you can drop on the, on the world map where if you go to this place, you can have access to this megaphone. You know what I mean? And that as the technology improves, as more people start to kind of get turned on to this stuff, more people start to find their own megaphones, right? Or like link up with people who have them sort of thing. And then, you know, television adds kind of a visual medium to that, which is very important because we're, you know, vision is like probably our number one sense by which we move through the world. And you know, especially once once rock music started to become a global phenomenon, the idea of like the record, the thirty three and a half R and a third RPM album, that that's kind of became its own thing. So then it's like, oh, I want to make an album. Well, you have to talk to these people and you know w work something out with them, and you got to play the game a little bit to even get there, right? So it's like the megaphone is still there, but you know, getting there, it's like the rules change. And one of the, uh, you know, you fast forward to the new wave, mid to late 70s, and one of the, you know, punk rock and all that, and one of the most important novelizations, I think, of new wave was that it was, it was people who just really loved, loved the music and loved the things they were doing, but they wanted to do it on their own terms. So it was, and it was, you're starting to see these independent labels and people who just just gather 
material for a studio and build their own studios and who aren't affiliated with these like huge corporations to put out music. And, you know, at the time that was like huge. I mean, I wasn't born then, so I don't, I didn't live to see it, of course, but, but you know, that's starting to kind of like, okay, the megaphone is here, but why do only these people get to have it? You know, let's make this all for the people, you know? And uh, fast forward to like, the indie rock revolution and that's starting to happen because the technology is getting better and you know uh basement basement demos suddenly are a lot less like like the basement demo you make is actually getting closer to what you could do in a studio you know what i mean like what you can do at home is starting to rise to the occasion of the pro studio and you know fast forward to the the myspace revolution you know the good old days for many, some of us. Um, the uh, I, I was actually I was listening to uh, so I, I love MC Lars music, um, and I was listening to his song uh, "Download This Song" recently from his first album. I think it was his first album, "The Graduate," and that was I think 2006 that album came out. So that was like the heart of the MySpace revolution. And the, the core message of that song is, hey, guys, we've got the internet. We don't need to go to labels. We, you know, the, like these guys can't take our money anymore. We, we can just, we'll, we'll share it with our friends online. We'll build our own following on our own terms. So it's, and not just in music, but in general, I think the internet gave, so like continuing the megaphone metaphor, now everyone has, has a megaphone. And so now it's 10 years, 15 years after that song comes out. Now everyone has a megaphone. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, and the thing is when, when everyone has a megaphone, no one has a megaphone. That's, you know, like I, mm. like I like that we can have this like hub, call it Facebook or Instagram or whatever that you can go to and kind of get clued into what people are doing and, spread information very fast like that's great and the fact that you know twitter is a you know if if you like need to get the word out about something that's like really important you can just like tweet something and people will see it in like five seconds like that's great but at the same time i think that it's it's like in the incredibles like the villain in the incredibles wants to give everybody superpowers because then no one has superpowers Right. At all. And I, I think yeah. that's kind of the situation that it's in with the, with the internet and music, because now everybody with, you don't even really need a laptop. You just need like a, a phone. A and cell like, phone. Yeah, exactly. It's it, the, the difference between what you can do in a studio and what you can do on your phone is it's, it's closing in year by year, ever closer, you know? Sure. And so it's, it's again, it's, it's good that you can get your message out there or whatever it is, but now everybody wants to tell you like what they had for dinner that day or like, you, you know what I mean? And so I, I think it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a double-edged sword sometimes. So I've, and with, with the song a day album with sweaters and coffee, part of actually my sort of bigger motivation with making like this and like tying it to a physical object, mm-hmm. the little house was I want to, I want to, plug into like a different logic than the standard, you know, build your artist profile today, get a Facebook page, get a LinkedIn, get a Pinterest, get a whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, join a book your concerts on our 
on our obscure little website kind of thing. <laughs> and, you know, if you buy credits from us and people can watch your concerts and then you can use the uh, tips people give you to buy more credits to watch more concerts. And then, you know what I mean? And I'm just, so I'm just cool. like looking at this and I'm like, there's got to be a better way. You know, it just, it just doesn't feel like this is the best possible outcome for the artist. You know, it's, you know, live concerts, like I love live concerts and it's, that's my kind of preferred, uh, preferred mode of engaging with music and with sharing music is being in a room with real people sharing an evening, you know, Mm, and you can go to this, go to this bar, this space, and you can take your partner, your friends, or you can meet new people there. And it's like, it's like, in some way, it's like your night, you know what I mean? Someone's somebody's calling you like, hey, can I get on Groovecast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? But yeah, I, I think the like these are all things the the in person experience. It's <laughs> it's you you really can't do that in the same way virtually. I mean, you can you can right. refer to it and you can do like a Zoom concert. You know, I don't know why I did the air quotes for that. That was kind of uh, super superfluous, perhaps. But understood. But yeah. So so my just to kind of draw things to like a conclusive answer to your question like making this uh like making this album among other things it's been a uh it's been an experiment in uh in sort of disobeying the disobeying the current standard right Mm. because because you think about in the myspace days a song like download this song the mr record man is like the bad guy and it's like, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're one-upping you, man. You know, you can't get in on this. Well, now Mr. Record Man is is in the driver's seat again, you know. And so, you, you know, your stuff's on Spotify and you get like uh, uh, three-tenths of a penny for every play it gets. But then meanwhile, the CEO of Spotify is worth like $3.8 billion. It's like, what's going on here? Right. Uh, I, I wonder how this works, you know. So that's... I mean, that's, I, I don't really like Spotify. That's my main motivation for not having my music on Spotify, not having the app and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I think I, 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 I'm, what I'm saying is I think that it's more, it's more valuable when it's like direct from artist when, when there's like, when, when like, when like whatever, whatever the normal is finding some way to sort of get under that or get over that. To me, that's that's what keeps stuff like, like, like interesting and like relevant, you know. Absolutely, Luke. Have you? Do I look antsy to you by chance? Um, sh- should you? I I gotta be honest. I have to pee like a racehorse. Oh man! Don't let me keep you. Yeah. Just, just, no, no, no. This is what we're gonna do because you just said a lot of great things that I I want to take a moment to digest. I want to dive back in and I want to close out with a few other things. So what I yeah. want to do is I want to throw on one more track. If you want to listen to Gravity, yeah, okay. I'll have a a, a moment to wet my whistle over here, and sure. we can finish this off because uh, to be honest, man could talk to you all night yeah you just opened up a lot of gateways that i i want to talk about a little bit more and then i want to talk a little bit about how people can find you and all that um but for the moment let's pop on gravity from the new from the new album and uh yeah here we go
All right. I gotta say that I'm pretty proud of that track, all things considered. It's a beautiful one, man. It's a good one. Thank you. And it was the perfect length. I'm sorry, I'm embarrassed. I I, I felt like a, a kid in class, embarrassed to like put their hand up and say they have to pee, so they're just like Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm holding so their sorry. crotch I'm just, and. <laughs> I'm just like ranting about like the new wave, and you're just. No, it's perfect. Uh, it's perfect. And, and, and you're totally right. I mean, with the amount of access to create music, and it's not just music, it's photography, it's video content, it's any content at all. I mean, you go on Twitter, you go on Facebook, everybody thinks that they're a genius. And not that some people aren't. Some of you guys are brilliant. Uh, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the other people. But everybody who's who's tuned in right now is is pretty pretty awesome. That's for sure. Pretty brilliant. Exactly. And and the thing is, there's definitely a little bit of a noise. Like it's almost like a content pollution, where it's it's hard to see clearly what what you want to find and what you want to see. And then sometimes I almost feel like. Uh, you're I struggle to find stuff that I'm even interesting in or interested in when I'm scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or it's it just seems like it's all garbage yeah um not that it's garbage but it's garbage and yeah well, well, so it is let's be honest 
and and everyone knows it is and and to be honest that's why fast food another food analogy is so popular is because people like garbage because it's quick it's easy it tastes good and it makes you feel better about yourself yeah. but so at the end and of the day go on and it's familiar which i'll admit it doesn't matter what song it is if i know the lyrics in two listens for some reason i like it a little bit more i like yeah, that familiarity yeah. there's like a weird psychology behind familiarity and, and I think a lot of uh, writer, uh, you know, musicians, producers, writers like to write cookie cutter music with certain sound frequencies and certain tonalities and a certain rhythm structure. There's actually machine technology can go and analyze a song and almost predict the probability of uh, popularity just based on certain musical elements. So it's yeah easy to release the cookie cutter music um that's one thing that I, I think that's cool that you're doing and a lot of great um musicians out there all across the world and that's one thing that's great about the internet is people that are doing something a little bit different a little bit creative um you take something like the building of your houses attached to a usb drive album you know, you're not going to, you're not going to reach 20 million people doing that, but at least you can kind of fight through the noise and, yeah. and, and build a tribe that ultimately is supporting what you're doing. Um, yeah. And I don't have to reach 20 million people, you know, that's right. like, that's not, to me, that's not like, that's not like a necessity for success is like everybody knowing your name. Like, I don't really want that actually. Which is good because that's that's really really hard to do, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but you're you you mentioned the uh, algorithmic uh, like uh, were you talking about algorithmically generated music or like algorithmically analyzing music? Yeah, so um, it, it's hard because uh, I don't have all the data studies in front of me. Long story short, but there's a lot of story uh, studies that have proven that certain tonalities certain rhythms um certain this and that and uh, man i wish i that i was more knowledgeable on this and i could actually quote it properly but they have technology out there where you can take a track and put into the technology and it'll read the frequencies and the rhythm and this and that and determine whether it's going to be hit mm -hmm. just based on you know, very subjective things that they know yeah. that are commonalities that will lead to enjoyment just because of familiarity. That technology's out there. And, you know, you look at producers, you look at any kind of marketer, you look at any marketing app, anything online technology, any modern technology in general, um, but we'll focus just on music. There is no ethical necessity that it is for the benefit of you and or society so if a recording company or an artist has the ability has the technology to perfect something to the t that they know that it'll people uh, they'll get them tick tock you know crack addicted to the music where they can't 
they can't stop listening to it. They love it, even if it's not beneficial, even if it's not mind bending, even if it's not, uh, you know, it's fast food to them. It's even if it's not something that's going to expand their mind, they have incentive to create it for monetary value and the technology is there to help them create that music for monetary value. And it gets to a point that it's like, how, how can you even trust someone? I mean, the music might be great, but how can you trust someone if you don't know if their best interest, your best interest is in their mind and it comes back to, you know, independent artists, uh, you know, just smaller artists, growing artists, yeah. people that are staying true to their message that aren't trying to manipulate or capitalize you with their music, but ultimately creating music for their enjoyment and shared enjoyment with others. Yeah, that's that's really what's going to grow the tribe. And that's really what's going to strengthen us. I, there's a difference between being able to sell music and actually making you know, a, a conscious difference in someone's life. And, uh, well, so I agree, but I think that there, there is some aspect of each of these approaches that to, to, to be, you know, to be a self, uh, self-starter creative type person and sort of keep your own, you know, keep juggling all these things, you know, years, years down the line and still be kind of producing new work you've got to have some kind of business mindset to this. Like you've got to be able to do a budget. Like you just have to, you literally cannot afford not to be able to do that. Um, but speaking to your uh, thing about the uh, like, like, like generating music purely algorithmically, just trying to get plays, just trying to make it a hit. That is so there, there's a, there's a homogeny that comes out of that. And you can hear it in the loudness wars where things are compressed in where, where songs get specific are compressed to such a point that it's, it's all at like one level of volume the whole time, pretty much. And there's, and ironically enough, even as there's more access and more possibility of like what to listen to, like all of that stuff starts to starts to become more square, you know? And so I'm, I guess I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to like, remain conscious of that as a creator of things and continue to find ways to sort of step around that, you know, like the, like on, on sweaters and coffee, I, I produced all the songs myself and I definitely wasn't thinking about, Oh, this one could be a hit or not. Maybe I'm thinking of like, Oh, maybe I would play this one at, uh, at a house party, you know, if it's like a casual vibe or maybe I'd, maybe I'd, uh, get this one performed in like, uh, a concert hall or something like this. Um, but yeah, aside from that, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be like Madonna over here, you know, or anybody. So yeah, I like your, I like your analogy of the uh, tribe, you know, like I, I don't really think tribalism does entirely good things for us as a society, but I think having a tribe is, is an important thing nonetheless. Sure. And and it's more the metaphor of a tribe than anything. Getting into tribalism, we've got a whole new box of chocolates, um, but a niche, a tribe, a community, people that support you. And um, at the same time, 
kind of uh, make it tough sometimes and they give you feedback and having people that will be supportive but also critical in a positive way is something that everybody needs mm-hmm. um we dude i i want to have you on again because we dive deep oh, really? and and we ultimately um talk about a little bit of everything keep it real kind of peel back the onion and talk yeah, about man. Uh, the 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 reality behind things which i think is great because to be honest we i i want to i want to at least take a moment to address all these you know all these activities you're doing all the uh, uh, i mean you're in seth seth fergozio's multi-bird treasure play booking at Meadowsim lab um let's let's one at a time you know let's start with seth fergozio's multi-bird seth fergozio a great musician in the rochester community yeah. incredible um, he had the sages for a while uh, i yeah. i don't think the sages are a band currently yeah, at this, the time he's focused so, on multi-bird yeah so the quick history of that is uh so seth had a was an anti-folk kind of legend in new york city in the 90s 2000s with doofus um moved to ithaca and then to rochester i think there might have been some other stuff in between but basically i think it's something like when he moved to rochester he started this band that was supposed to be like this sort of sort of like people's band like a roving ensemble that would like learn like learn a lot of songs but also like enter a concert and be like 20 people strong kind of thing and I wasn't around for that, but uh, Multibird is the band that emerged from like the core of 23 Sages. And originally it was Seth and Sean Jones and Dominic Marini and Stan Martinelli as a quartet. And um, uh, I, I replaced Stan on bass guitar. And um, there were there have been some other lineup changes since then. Um, yeah, I've been in the band since uh, since early 2018, like April 2018, I think was my first show with them. Um, really, really awesome. Like being being in that band has been like, it's been it's been really cool. Um, Treasure Plate, I joined in a couple months prior, uh, J- January 2018, and I kind of joined Treasure Plate when it was starting. That's uh, I don't know if you know Brian McCormick or Ryan Kinnell or Josh Lowenberger, these guys super fun i used to live with brian super fun bunch of people um but it's this uh sci-fi space rock opera so we we built our own costumes we built our own uh i mean brian built his own guitar that he plays in the band it's really something and we um that's been a different experience because like in multi-bird i feel like i've kind of been coming into something that already has a long history that like you know okay i'm plugging into this thing but i've got to respect everything that's come before me kind of treasure plate is more like I, I hopped in like right at the beginning and we we built it up to we finally had our um back in november we had our release party for our first album engine core phenomenal and building up to that it really was like a one person at a time to like fill the fill the room kind of thing um and then yeah, so th- those are the those are the the two bands that I'm in, the two main like performance vehicles. Sadly, since quarantine, concerts really haven't been a thing. Um, it's been kind of easy to do live streams with Multibird because I, I the band members and I share a house, so we we you know it's we just have to go downstairs and just you know get together. Um, 
Yeah. But yeah. And then the Meddlesome Lab, for those who don't know, is a DIY music wellness space that's here in Center City, Rochester. And we, you know, when society is functioning as normal, we do lots of concerts. And um, yeah, I, I just, just in general, I consider myself like very lucky to have found, to have found this group of people and to be in this particular flow in Rochester right now. It's, it's really, really been awesome. So, yeah. It's awesome stuff. Um, currently I, I presume Meadowsim lad is kind of on a standstill, but you yeah. do a lot of the booking and promotion there, right? Yeah. I have over the past year, I think we did like a dozen shows and I think, I think it was a dozen. Yeah. Our, our last most recent show was March 15th. And um, it was kind of like, should we do it? Cause quarantine was just starting to be a thing, but we did it. And it was kind of like a, okay, last house show for a while. And so since then it's, you know, it's just been more of a house, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's still a lab though. You're still creating. Oh, it's always a lab. There's always, always something, something going on here. That's for sure. Um, look into the future, man. Well, what are you excited about? What are you working on? Any endeavors that you're working on for the near future? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. It's hard to know what to, what to particularly highlight. Again, it's, it feels like not much and yet so much at the same. Um, well, oh, I can't believe I didn't mention this. So um, the second run of houses here is um, actually a, uh, I'm teaming up with, there's this organization. It's a kind of a homeless shelter kind of place like like helping people who need houses find houses it's called uh, person centered housing options and um i i know some of the people who run it so i've teamed up with them so this second run of houses is uh half of the proceeds from these i'm going to donate to person centered housing so that they can help people find find homes and get people off the street and into a proper bed and all this stuff so I, I really should have brought that up at the at the beginning, but that's that's a, a thing that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. So, like, if you get a house, half of that money is going to be a donation to people who like really truly need it. So, that's something I'm pretty stoked about. Like, really excited to be able to do. Um, other stuff. Multibird just started meeting again for regular practices. Um, we, we've been kind of hit or miss because, you know pod quarantine life is really strange but we're 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 kind of back to and you know not having any shows it's like okay what are we really working towards but we're we're starting to do the weekly rehearsal thing again so really uh digging that for sure um yeah just and then aside from that for now like finding more students going on more bike rides going camping more um making new friends seeing people i love more uh yeah, eating lots of mangoes, things like that, you know, and other, and other stuff far too numerous to to mention, you know. Houses for houses, mangoes and mangoes. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's great stuff. So how do people keep in touch? What's the best way to stay in touch for this houses for houses endeavor, um, you know, helping the homeless, helping uh, give people homes and give them safety 
yeah. in all your projects. Are there any? Is there any single spot or best places to keep in touch with what you're doing? Yeah, just uh, you know, here on Facebook as me by my name. Instagram is like Luke J Cornwell. Um, I have a Bandcamp. Um, I'm starting a starting a website. Uh, it's going to be in production for a little bit, I think. But once it's really going, I'm planning on releasing, doing some like site exclusive releases like that. So, um, yeah, just honestly, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, the, the trifecta. So probably the best way for right now. Good stuff. And obviously everybody keep in touch with treasure play, keep in touch with Seth Fergosia's multi bird, you know, Luke on all of these mediums, Luke Cornwell. One, one last question. I ask every single guest. Uh-huh. you've got a billboard on the side of the road, busy, busy area. Everyone sees it. For all we know, the aliens can see it. It's such a big billboard and it's such a busy town that uh, all genders, all ages, all races, you know, a- a- all people, you know, so you don't want to be vulgar. You don't want to be polarizing. Uh, it- it's tough to find the right words. Because you have the opportunity to put whatever you want on this billboard. Um, it can be a message. It can be an image. It can be anything you want. You control that darn thing on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you put on it? And, and why would you choose what you choose? I would write B sharp. But like written like B hashtag, like the sharp sign. That's what I would write. Well, so so I'm thinking be sharp as in be like, be quick, be ready, be good. Um, uh, yeah, what, like have your like have your. Well, it's on what it's like have your wits about you kind of thing, and mm. just like, like like in, engage with engage with the world, engage with life, you know. But it's also a music pun because B sharp is, uh, so it's the note C is B sharp, but nobody calls it B sharp. Um, it's, it's just like music nerd pun punnage like that. Yeah. So you'll have a lot of people smirking as they go by when, when they, they, it's kind of like an inside yeah. joke. Again, it, it's a tribal thing. It, you're building your community of nerds that, that get there the you go. <laughs> it's cool stuff, man. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate you having, uh, having, uh, ultimately having you on, um, yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks so Dude. much for for uh, talking. It's, it's been it's been a really nice evening. I almost feel like we didn't dive deep enough. We can go deeper. I, you you laid down a ton of wisdom, and I had to pee. And oh, just thanks. in that moment, there's five or six or seven things that we could have kind of pe- peeled back or went down that that path and talked about. So we'll have to chat more. Um, I obviously okay. urge everybody to follow Luke. Keep in touch. And thanks again, man. Good stuff. Uh, I wish you the best going forward in the future. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the uh, appreciate the collaboration. Uh, look forward to the next episode.
Thanks for listening to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. Share this with a friend and tell them exactly why they should listen. And don't forget to keep it groovy, baby. 